Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we conclude the seven-week season of Easter. We also conclude our sermon series, Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants. Where can you find God when a cannonball has your name on it? Join us for the message, St. Ignatius, Finding God in All Things. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning with the 16th verse. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Inigo Lopez looked out over the battlefield as the French invaders drew ever nearer. It was apparent that the battle was lost, but Inigo refused to surrender. He had spent the last four years in the service of the nobleman, the Duke of Nahira, and was defending his fortress in Pamplona, Spain. Well, if Inigo refused to surrender, then God was going to make him surrender. Surrender not only the battle, but surrender any ambition he had to be a soldier and ultimately to surrender his body and his health. A cannonball raced across the battlefield until it found its target, the right leg of Inigo Lopez. The cannonball shattered all the bones of Inigo's right leg and badly injured his left leg as well. And that ended the battle and it ended Inigo's military career. Well, Inigo Lopez was born in 1491. That's the year right before Europeans discovered the New World. And so consequently, he was born kind of at the cusp of time, right as the Middle Ages were ending and beginning the transition to the Renaissance, the Age of Discovery, and ultimately the Reformation. And he grew up in the city of Loyola, located in the northern Basque region of Spain. Now, his noble family was wealthy, but he was also the 13th out of 13 children. And as the youngest, Inigo could not depend on any kind of large inheritance to support himself. He was going to have to go out into the world, make his own way, and then seek a career that was appropriate to his station. Well, that was actually made much easier by the fact that Inigo dreamed of being this mighty military hero. So he left home at the age of 16 to become the page to the court treasurer for the king of Castile. After the king died, Inigo found employment as a gentleman soldier for the duke. And it's there he received his military training that he had just yearned for and finally had his opportunity to lead men in battle. And so it was in the duke's employ that Inigo found himself on that battlefield in Pamplona and on the receiving end of the cannonball that shattered not only his leg, but all of his dreams for military glory. Inigo was now 30 years old, and he was going to have to find a new dream for his life. Well, after the battle and in constant agonizing pain, it took roughly 24 hours to transfer Inigo by stretcher 
to his, home, to his family's home in Loyola, Spain. And he would spend the next year trying to learn to walk again. And because the leg had initially been improperly set, at one point he had to endure an excruciating surgery where the doctor had to re-break and reset his leg. And remember, all of this came before the, the age of general anesthesia. Well, as so happens, often happens in long recoveries, even though Inigo was in constant pain, he was also kind of bored and restless. So one day he decided to hobble into the family library and see what was there. He was hoping to find stories of adventure that would take his mind away from what was happening. But the only books he was able to find were two books, The Life of Christ and Lives of the Saints. Not exactly what he was hoping for. But to his own surprise, Inigo found the lives of the saints to actually be captivating because in their own way, the saints lead lives of amazing adventures. They're often on some sort of journey. They're facing hardships and adversaries all along the way. At the end, they've achieved some sort of wonderful, great success before their lives have ended. But oftentimes, their lives are ended as a martyr in some fascinatingly gruesome way. The lives of the saints began to awaken in Inigo a new kind of daydream. Before he had dreamed of this life in the military, winning victory after victory in service to the king of Spain. But now he dreamed a new dream of a life in service to another kind of king, the king of kings. And then as he read the life of Christ, Inigo began to use his fervent imagination to picture himself, to imagine himself in the stories and scenes from Jesus' life. And he gained new insight as he mentally played the parts of all the different characters in the story. He could feel the heat of the sun. He could feel the spray of the ocean, of the Sea of Galilee. As he continued to recover from his injury, Inigo was at the same time experiencing a deep conversion. And he knew at this point that he was going to spend the rest of his life in one way or another in service to Christ. And over the objections of his family, Inigo left home a year later with no clear idea of where he was going or exactly what he was going to do. Well, he ended up at the Abbey of Montserrat that overlooks the city of Barcelona. And there Inigo sought to make a full confession of all of his sins before starting his new life. Tradition says that his confession lasted three whole days. It was a lot of sinning, evidently after which he received absolution. But after his three-day confession, Inigo exchanged his nobleman's clothing for that of a pilgrim beggar, and he spent the rest of that full night in prayer. In the morning, he gave his expensive clothing to one of the beggars. He gave his mule to the monks, and as a final gesture of his intention to live a new life, Inigo left his sword and his dagger on the altar before he turned and left. Inigo intended to make his way to Barcelona, but he stopped in the small town of Manresa for what he thought would be only a few days. That ended up being 11 months. In Manresa, he lived as a beggar and spent much of his time in prayer living in a cave. And for all those months, it is said that he did not comb nor cut his hair, and he let his fingernails grow as long as 
as long as the fingernails can grow in 11 months. During this time, he experienced intense highs and lows. One moment, he, just, he felt his whole being just fill up with the love of God, while the next moment he felt tortured, thinking about all of his sins, both real and imagined. And at one point, he actually came close to suicide. His greatest strength, though, saw him through this troubling time. You see, his greatest strength was that Inigo was unafraid to explore every facet of his own thoughts and his own feelings, his own interior life. He was one of those people that actually repressed virtually nothing, but instead used his feelings to discern the workings of the Holy Spirit within his soul. And so this ended up being a time of tremendous spiritual growth for him. And it was also during this time that Inigo began to write one of the greatest masterpieces of Christian spirituality that has ever been conceived, his spiritual exercises. And the exercises remain tremendously popular to this day, and this book is still a standard text in the training of spiritual directors. Well, Inigo finally left Manresa. I take it that he finally cut his hair and his nails, too. And he made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And during this pilgrimage, he began to feel a call to the priesthood. But he lacked the formal education necessary to pursue his goal. Inigo was fluent in Spanish, but he had never learned Latin. So at the age of 33, he went back to Barcelona and sat in a classroom with 12 and 13-year-old boys to learn Latin and to fill in the gaps of his education. So after he mastered Latin, he went to Paris to study there in the university. And there he began to make many friends at the university and he shared with them his spiritual exercises. Well, it was at this time that Inigo also started to get in trouble. So even though he had, he had not completed his studies and was as yet not ordained, he was nevertheless teaching his spiritual exercises and he was gathering followers. And at this time in history, the Roman Catholic Church did not look favorably on lay persons as teachers. He was even brought before the Inquisition twice. Now he was acquitted both times, but he finally had to promise to refrain from teaching until he had become fully ordained. Well, in 1534, Inigo and his friends took their vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience and formed their new order, which they called the Society of Jesus. And they celebrated the forming of their society by worshiping together and then going on a picnic outside the city limits of uh, Paris. And the Society of Jesus is actually better known today as the Jesuits. Well, two years after that, at the age of 45, Inigo was finally ordained a priest. And at that point, Inigo took on his new name as part of his ordination. And he took on the name of Ignatius. And so Ignatius is now the name by which he is best known today. So now Ignatius eventually moved to Rome, and in 1540, Pope Paul III formally endorsed the Jesuits as an official order of the Roman Catholic Church. And so not surprisingly, the Jesuits then turned around and unanimously voted in Ignatius as their first father general. 
Well, Ignatius remained in Rome there as he continued to write and to govern the rapidly, order, uh, rapidly growing order of Jesuits. The original group of seven, by the time he died, had grown to over a thousand, and they had spread to countries throughout Europe, as well as places as far away as uh, the Congo, Japan, and even Brazil in the New World. Well, Ignatius encouraged the Jesuits to be more involved in the world than some of the other orders did. And so as the result, Jesuits went and founded many, many schools, and they gained a reputation, which endures to this day, as being an order that's associated with academics and with learning. Well, unfortunately, Ignatius had suffered for many years from stomach ailments, and so he finally succumbed to one of his stomach illnesses and died in 1556 on July 31st at the age of 65. And July 31st, the day of his death, later became his official feast day. He was canonized as a saint in 1622, and eventually he was recognized as the patron saint of education, the patron saint of spiritual retreats, and the patron saint of soldiers. And the Jesuits now number over 16,000, and our, the current Pope Francis is the first Jesuit that was ever elected Pope. Well, Ignatian spirituality has remained very popular through the four and a half centuries since he passed away. It has undergone an unexpected resurgence, however, that is especially strong here in the late 20th and early 21st century. Its emphasis on the interior life of thought and feeling and emotion, well, this seems to really resonate nowadays with postmodern people. So another way of saying this is Ignatius was a master of human psychology long before the field of modern psychology even existed. And when I read his work, I'm amazed at his just intuitive understanding of the human psyche. Now, there are three parts of Ignatian spirituality that I want to highlight today. It's, it's incredibly deep and incredibly broad, uh, but these three are just scratching the surface, but they're three of the, uh, the best-known highlights to his spirituality. And the first of these is, I mentioned earlier, what Ignatius did himself as he was reading the life of Christ. He thought that by contemplating on the stories of Jesus, this was a great way of, as Paul would say, developing the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And so Ignatius encouraged his followers to imagine themselves in the story. So I want to take, for example, the story that Wesley read earlier from the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to read it again. And this time when I read it, I want you to imagine yourself actually being there in the scene, maybe even as one of the characters in the story. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, when I've done this exercise with groups in the past, many of them then describe, again, that they can feel the heat of the sun, they can feel the spray of the sea, 
they imagine themselves in the actual actions of fishing or of mending their nets, and they even imagine the weight of the nets in their hands. Many of them can hear the sounds of commerce happening along the seashore, or they can even hear the sounds of gulls in the background. And oftentimes, they imagine themselves as one of the characters in the story. And so if you can enter into this scene in your imagination, then maybe you can also imagine what it was like for Jesus to say to you, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And if you can imagine Jesus saying that to you, then maybe you can contemplate how you might have answered if you were Simon or Andrew or James or John. And from there, you can actually contemplate how you might answer Jesus if he was saying this to you today. What would you say? How would you respond? And what does it mean to follow Jesus now? This technique can be used with just about any story about Jesus. In fact, it can be used about just about any story in the Bible. The second aspect of Ignatian spirituality that can be very helpful is known as the prayer of examine, sometimes known as the review of the day. And traditionally, the prayer of examine is a short time of prayer at the end of the day where you examine all that has happened in the last 24 hours. And there's, there's, there's numerous templates out there that can be used. But it's usually thought that the prayer should always begin with an acknowledgement for all the good things that are in your life or all the good things that have happened to you that day. And if nothing else, a regular review each day of all you have to be grateful for can profoundly change your life. I know numerous people that will testify that just an exercise of daily gratitude has made a profound difference in their life. Well, the, the, the traditional examined prayer also includes then a review of how God has been active in your life in the last 24 hours. Are there some sins or patterns of behavior that God's pointing out to you that you need to repent from? Are there positive ways that God is at work in your life developing in you the same nine that was in Christ Jesus. And this examined prayer can be as simple and as complex as you like, but practiced regularly over time, it can usher in real change into your life. The third and final aspect of Ignatian spirituality that I'd like to highlight is, well, it's the subtitle of this sermon, St. Ignatius, Finding God in All Things. So as illustrated in those first two aspects, Ignatius believed that there was no part of life, no thought, no feeling, no experience, no place, no person where God could not be found if we just have the eyes to see it. Because ultimately God is everywhere. The spiritual is just a depth dimension of our physical created world. Now there's a saying of Jesus that's found in one of the Gospels that did not make it into the Bible. It's called the Gospel of Thomas. Now, as many of you know, there were probably, there's probably dozens and dozens of Gospels that were written sometime during those first few centuries after Christ, and it's only four of which were included in the New Testament. And that's basically the number one reason is the four Gospels in our New Testament 
were the four earliest of those Gospels that were written. And most scholars now think it's very doubtful that the Gospels that were not included contain any additional accurate historical information about Jesus. But unlike these other non-biblical Gospels, however, there's, there's various reasons why some scholars think that the Gospel of Thomas might actually contain some genuine sayings of Jesus that are not found elsewhere. So I can't tell you for sure if Jesus said this or not, but I'd like to think that he did because I like it quite a bit. So this is a verse, the 77th verse from this Gospel of Thomas. Jesus said, I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me all has come forth and to me all has reached. Split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. I just love that imagery. It really speaks to me. We can find God in all things because God already resides in all things. And that includes uh, the piece of wood and underneath a stone, and it includes also then the human heart. And so I'd like to end then with another one of Ignatius' Ignatius's most well-known prayers. And so I would ask that then that you please pray this with me. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have, and call my own. You have given all to me, to you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. And so now let us receive this benediction. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, for Christ has ascended. And now bring your eyes back down to earth. Go as witnesses to the risen, ascended Lord, to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11. Next Sunday, we celebrate Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came with power to inaugurate Christ's church. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.